0: Welcome to One Long Conversation. I'm Sonia. And I'm Colby. This is a podcast about spiritual awakening.
1: Yeah, and through that we talk about art, culture, conscious parenting, and healing yourself so you can express and freely share your unique perspective with this world.
0: This is a fun and informative conversation that we have daily, and we're sharing it with you.
1: Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy.
0: I believe that the body can heal itself 100%, but I guess what I want to share with that, because I'm always catching myself in those mental programs, is with my eyes, I do believe that my eyes can balance themselves into 20-20 vision. Now, I don't know if my eyes have always had 20-20 vision. don't know because I was very small, very young in elementary school when I realized that I couldn't see the blackboard back when we had blackboards in school. So it's been a long, long time since I can remember seeing clearly with just the naked eyeballs. But I know, I do know that when we are in density, the vibration is so dense here that the healing process is slower. So we'll see. But my focus is always on... The eyes being clear. So we are talking today about meditation. Meditation.
1: Well, so hold on a sec. Because I think, Mm -hmm. I don't think that we're meant to be like perfect in our bodies.
0: No, that's the whole process of being here.
1: So I think that one of the things that, and this is something that meditation has helped me with a lot, coming to terms with aging and imperfection. And the fact that people with imbalances in their bodies, there is some level of naturalistic being that must occur for that to exist. It's not all the fault of like modern age living, because people have struggled with this for literally as long as they've been alive. It's, I think, very, very important to come to terms with the slow process of age towards death. Because understanding that... Our time here is finite, is part of what gives this time its vitality, and its power, and its ability to instill meaning into each breath. That's something that I've gained from meditating. Because before, I was very fearful of death, of age, and I, didn't even, I wasn't even consciously aware of it. It was something that had been programmed into me, and I wasn't even aware of it. And so I wouldn't even think about these things. And I would tell myself, no, 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 I don't have a fear of death. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm good. But it wasn't until I was forced to reckon with those subconscious sort of triggers, the idea of dead people, graveyards. Um the way that society talks about death and then my avoidance of real death that happens around me my avoidance of Julie's death my avoidance of thinking about people around me dying just removing myself from the process entirely and putting it onto other things saying oh no no it's because of this it's because of that you know not actually confronting the realization of of death and aging as being natural forms of of existence that was when i realized that I had, a, I had a mental imbalance, and that mental imbalance was preventing me from accessing a level of vitality and presence in my life. And when I did come to terms with that, when I acknowledged that these imbalances do exist for a reason, and it's part of the understanding of isness to accept those things as just a part of life, when I came to terms with that, then I realized that this little mortality thing that I've been struggling with, this is, it's really like the most powerful reason to live. It's like why we want to be here is so that we can overcome the struggles that we're born with from birth in one way or another, whether it's mentally or physically. And I think the really hard physical ones, the ones that are like, you know, genetic or... You suffer some sort of accident or something like that. I think that those are the ones that you really have to like find that. You have to find that acceptance and that love for living as you are within yourself. So for me, meditation had showed me that. It's part of how I came to terms with the fact that I was losing my hair. You know, it's like, it's something that most men on this earth struggle with and genetically have struggled with for years. But I realized that I had a perception of what aging was that was fed to me by society because we we live in a society that is so fearful of aging and death that we literally find the prettiest people and we idealize them we do that for our entire lives pretty much and we have since like the beginning of commercialism whether it be in like newspapers whether it be like models and like you know pinup magazines it's like Whatever you see, you're going to probably see the most physically attractive, most physically fit, most humanly perfect, quote-unquote, version of existence, because that's what sells, because people want that for themselves. But what they don't realize is that's not most people's experience, and that's never really been most people's experience, because we're not... We're not physically perfect beings defined by having a wonderful jawline, a perfect hairline, 20 2020 vision, uh, you know, no genetic imbalances. we're We're individuals, and individuals are gifted in much more abstract ways than these aesthetic sort of things. So Really, what we've done is we've removed ourselves with our own fear. We've used our fear to remove ourselves from accepting is-ness. And I see that reflected everywhere in our society. I see that people are afraid to be themselves, and so they want to be this thing that they idealize. And they look for that thing in other people, in external things, and they say, this, this, that will give me this. Whether it's Botox, whether it's Instilling yourself into the mind of someone that you're watching vicariously through whatever media you're consuming, or whether it's like some miracle, you know, heal aging thing, you know, it's like it's the same thing. It's these are all ways to remove yourself from understanding that you are an individual with an individual story who suffers individual things. And the real abstract way that you can understand that and define that for yourself is just coming to terms with what is through your breath. Because that's what being here is all about.
0: So with meditation, I began doing the, the classic of what I, I don't even know if I learned it. I think it was just shown to me in my dream time when I was 20, the year that I began really seriously cleansing my body when I lived in New York City. I literally began, I was, I, it was, I was told I don't know if it was my spiritual teacher at the time, Patricia Mandino, or whether my higher self and my guides brought it in while I was starting to wake up from a lucid state because they talked to me all the time then and were helping me to clean up my body and my system and my life. I began to just sit down. I don't think I was palms open. I didn't know anything about yoga back then. I didn't even know the word yoga. Maybe I knew the word yoga, but I didn't know what it was. I began to sit down and breathe and try to focus on the moment, which at the time was impossible for me. I was so caught up in my mind and I'd fall away from it and I'd hear go back to it, which was coming from within. And I would go back to it and I probably was trying to do it every day. Then I'd fall off to every other day and then it kind of fell down to once a week and it'd fall off and I'd come back to it there was that whole rhythm of that and it just kept coming back in i of course would do the traditional you know what we think of as the tibetan monks sitting or or classic masculine yogis sitting breathing listening being very hard for me but i continue to do it and you know decades have gone by and it's something that's very easy for me to do now because it's something that I practice every day. And I got very serious about practicing it daily, probably when I went into yoga teacher training as a, as a teacher in 2010 or 11. No, you know, it might've come before that. You know what? I, I think it came in when you were born and I started my daily yoga practice on my own. I read about it in books now that I'm recalling and talking about it. And... What meditation when I was able to just dedicate even a few minutes every morning to meditation? And the best time to meditate is in the morning when you're just coming into your body, it's the easiest to do. I was able to, it's almost like I was an eagle up above, surveying the land below me. And I was able to see my life, my own behavior towards others, and others' behavior towards me and over the process of many years i have been able to realize that what i say has an impact in the field and on others and what others say or in my behavior as well has an impact on others like a pebble on a very still lake hitting it for the first time and i was able to see that others what they say to me has an impact. And then as I really started to increase my meditation to like literally lying in bed, listening and breathing, easier to do with earplugs in because I sleep with earplugs, really easy to meditate with earplugs in. And then it was like, I mean, many, many years ago, then it was like, oh, but they can react or respond to what I say, but it's my choice if I want to allow that to impact me. And then I realized my power with that. I have a choice if I want to allow this to impact me. And so through seeing what I call the wide shot, or in yoga we say through source's eyes, seeing the full picture pulling back, 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 way, and it literally is like the eagle eye, seeing from above your body at the game board of life. I can see all of those aspects of everything that you just talked about. How we get caught up in our perception through ego of fear and of identifying with the body. I am the body and all of the the superficial, shall we say, that you know just the just the top layer of behavior that comes with that. And I'm able to multi-dimensionally perceive through meditation. It's a wonderful tool for that, to expand your consciousness into being able to see through multiple realms, multiple dimensions. So I'm able to see myself from the ground and how finite our human bodies are, I am able to perceive everything as now, but I'm also able to perceive the, the third-dimensional timeline by the clock, because the only thing that measures time is a clock, is a timepiece. That's it. There's no time outside of a timepiece. And if we keep a schedule, those are the things that give us that linear structure of keeping time. And then I'm able to now experience now that I'm over the 50 age, 50 rotations around the sun, you know, this is, I'm coming up on 55 rotations around the sun and I'm able to see how brief the body's cycles are in, and I'll I'll put this actually literally in a medical term. The full production of hormones from the glands in the endocrine system. That's really what it is. It's just the full production of hormones. That's a really short time in this full scope of a life because scientists have found the DNA markers. There's multiple factors to it. There's genetic factors. There's health factors. There's lifestyle factors on how long the human body can go before it expires. And science, and I was just looking into this the other day as I'm doing all the research on energy enhancement system, the scalar waves, these bodies genetically go to 120. That's as long as humans have lived that they have been able to find currently. Modern day humans are living until 120. Look it up. Do the research. Everybody needs to do the research on that. And the question is, there are so many factors that go into that. Yes, there is a multitude of factors because there are centenarians who drink alcohol and smoke. There are centenarians who are raw plant eaters. There are centenarians. I mean, Okinawa, the island off of Japan, has the largest population of centenarians on the planet. The reason that science explains why Okinawans have the most centenarians and those citizens, some of them have lived to be 120 is because of their soil, their soil. Now, I just watched a couple of videos on this and one was uh, some science thing and one science thing on, on YouTube. And they, you know, a bunch of, bunch of geneticists are talking and they got multiple Okinawans from multiple ages to test their blood and the, you know, flesh on the inside of their cheek and things like that. and. What they found, and Okinawans drink rice wine. They drink a lot of, they drink a lot of alcohol. So that's not it. And they found that the key factors for, and and same with rural China. Rural China also has a lot of centenarians. Not as many as Okinawa, according to science, but they do anyway. So what they found in the regions that have the most centenarians are number one, these people have rich soil, mineral rich soil with humic and fulvic acids still in the soil. No herbicides and pesticides, no chemicals, no chemicals in their farming. So they have a healthy gut biome. They also eat incredibly naturally. They have a high fruit vegetable diet. They move a lot. Their seniors move. In Okinawa, seniors play. They play cro- this croquet type game outside. They play together. They do a lot of playing outside and they have literal parks, public parks outside that literally just have games for people to go and play. And they do a lot of outside cleaning and inside cleaning. They they all talk about this. We just move a lot. We move all the time. Um, They have rich community They all come together with each other. They support each other. Another thing that Okinawans talk about is they accept their differences. Same with rural China. They also accept their differences. Everybody has a voice. Everybody has a perspective. And they honor all of that, even if they disagree. They honor it. Everybody's honored for their voice. So I was just watching these videos on this and I was like, oh, there it is. And they live as communities, so the seniors are not segregated from the other generations. All generations come together, and if they want to live together, they do. Their government in Okinawa is actually very supportive of all of these, this lifestyle. That's another thing, is they're one of the few governments that actually supports this lifestyle. Hmm. So all of those came into play. Everybody in Okinawa, spends a lot of their day outside in nature. They, Yeah, they have tech there. Of course they do. And they have automobiles there. They have all of that. They they have a low level of pollution, but those are the key factors. And they actually don't drink a lot of water. They grow herbs and tea leaves, and they drink a tremendous amount of tea, like a lot of tea. They don't deprive themselves of pleasure. Like they drink alcohol. They eat sweets, but they do it in joy, and they do it together. And I noticed that. And so the same you'll see with rural China. Same exact lifestyle. Exact. You'll see this in islands, like, you know, the Samoan Islands, things like that. Same thing. Community, healthy soil, no chemicals, and they don't deprive themselves of experiencing great pleasure.
1: Does, does Samoa have a high level of...
0: They, I, haven't checked centenarians, those, I haven't checked those whatever. stats, centenarians.
1: Centenarians.
0: I haven't checked those stats in a long time, but the last time I looked at those statistics about the Samoan Islands, the like Polynesian Islands, a lot of those islands that are cut off from, you know, civilized, my quote fingers up, civilized society, they were stuck with more of their traditions... The cultures that stick more with their original traditions of living off the land have the longer living citizens. Like there's still a Mayan culture in Southern Mexico. They have long lives. They live a long time
1: and they have the exact
0: same conditions. I
1: do wonder living a more balanced life, the effect that it has on you mentally and emotionally for me, I would assume that that would create vitality. I, uh, I do wonder what, what effect that has on age. I think with only two examples, it's really hard to derive any conclusions, but it would be very interesting to know more. What they
0: talk about, all of these, all the citizens of these areas around the world who have agreed to talk to interviewers and, you know, people that, vloggers, et cetera, et cetera. Number one, their stress factors are like low to none. They don't have any stress. Um, and again, feeling community support and family support contributes to that. Um, They all live off the land. They grow their own food and they farm their own food. They're not, they are not so dependent upon their government or their governmental body. And they're living in harmony, way more harmony. Again, they stick with their ancestors, more traditional way of living. They live very simply. Um, I know that in, in the United States of America, some of the longest living citizens are the religious groups like the Amish and the Mennonites who also live very similar to that as well. They do have more seniors and they are, their seniors are healthier than your average Americans who are living a very high stress life, who are cut off from each other more, who have less community, we're workaholics, we're, you know, were worshiping the almighty dollar. And it's not to say that the Amish and the Mennonites don't experience some of that, but they have been heavily interviewed now. Heavily. I mean Peter sent but I forgot his last Santanello. name. Santanello. Santanello, I love that guy. I just have to remember his last name. Sorry, Peter. Um he, I mean he went into <laughs> that culture. And he said what's what's the one, number one thing that you see about the rest of the United States of America? That you would say no to. And that one farmer said, the stress, the stress, the stress you all live under. He's like, and you know, and their they're young people are allowed to go out and, and try to live like the rest of Americans. And he's like, you'll find that most of us come back to this society because the stress that you people are under, no wonder your lifespan is so short. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I, you know, and I I definitely do think that it makes a huge difference living. I mean, we, we talked about this before living under living under extremely rough mental conditions. I mean, it it just lessens your quality of life. So why would the body really work super hard to support you? If, like, the brain is, like, suffering so heavily, you know, it seems like you would have lesser physical performance uh, if you lived in really, really hard conditions. Uh, There are definitely some people out there who are really, really strong survivors. Like, for example, like some Holocaust survivors, for example, who went on to live, like crazy long lives there's a couple centenarians what is it? Centenarians,
0: centenarians centenarians there's a
1: couple centenarians who are holocaust survivors and so that's a really interesting thing to look at too cuz the amount of stress that they had to endure is like unbelievable
0: okay now but while you're going into that what has been released probably in the last 10 years or less that i read about on the internet is there were many people who were who were and camped. and they had very little stress at all. Part of it was their personality type and part of it was their mindset. And they were interviewed. They were, um, studied. And these were the people, and there weren't a lot of them, but these were the people who didn't lose a whole lot of weight, even though they weren't eating much. They literally relaxed Hmm. They knew these were people who also one of one of the um, one of the studies I read about was a man who was one of two men in his, you know, the little dorm thing where they were all shoved into the same bunks. And both of these men didn't really lose a whole lot of weight, even though they didn't eat like anybody else. They had those little bread pellets, things like that. And they were asked why do you look so healthy after being in this place for a year or whatever? And they both said, we believe in God. We believe in higher power. And we always knew that God loves us. And whether we're in the body or whether we die, we're completely taken care of. And so there was no reason to be stressed. Now, you may not know about the story, but a long time ago. It might have been in the 1970s or the ni- uh, early 1980s. And there was a, a Hollywood film that was made about this. Um, There was uh, a plane crash that happened. I think it might have been in Argentina in the Andes Mountains in South America. Um, A football team, soccer. Oh, football yeah. Team. And they
1: cannibalized each other.
0: They cannibalized yeah. each other. But there was one the guy. Yellow
1: jackets, I'm pretty sure.
0: There was one guy who, this did, this barely affected him. One guy out of the whole team, he did not eat the flesh of anybody. He also only lost two or three pounds. That's it. They talked to them. I saw the actual raw original film footage of taught. They talked to them and they were like, you have only lost a couple pounds. You don't seem stressed. And he practiced meditation mm-hmm. and he talked about this mm-hmm. and he said, I knew we would be rescued. He said, I got quiet. I got calm. He also going down in the plane, the crash barely affected him. He meditated the entire way down.
1: Hmm. Very interesting.
0: Yeah. He's in the story, but they didn't really reflect on him because of course they wanted to sell the drama of the cannibalistic story, but he was interviewed in actual life and they were like, why and he was mentioned at the end, you know, they wrote out the blurb at the end credits right before the credits rolled about this one guy. And they so I looked up that footage. I wanted to know what happened to him. He was the one I was interested in. Because I'm like, those are the people that I want to know. How do they do that? He said, I believe in the power of meditation and prayer. So he said, I prayed to God, because they're all Catholic. He said, I prayed to God, but he said I was practicing meditation. Um, if I recall. Somewhere he learned, he either learned yoga a little bit or he learned a yogic practice on meditation. It had a huge impact on him when he was a teenager or just early college. And so he just practiced that. And he said, I just began observing everything as if I was a bit removed from it. And he said, I could see everything as it played out. I could see everything. And he said, I also had the feeling and the knowing that we would be rescued. So there was no need to panic. And he said, and sure enough, we were. Hmm. So he never ate the flesh. And he said, and he was completely, he was rather separated from the group. It bothered everybody else. And you'll see that in the film, they actually play that out with his character. Hmm. He was bothered. They bo- he he bothered them. He stayed completely calm and serene the entire time. He stayed a bit, they thought he was being cold mm-hmm. and detached because he was in a constant meditative state. And he said he mastered his body's need for food. Because of that, he just ate snow in order to get water and sustenance, but he didn't he's the only one who didn't. And to the time of making that uh, after they made that film, um they he stated he was interviewed and he stated they still they don't speak to him. They did not speak to him after that after they got rescued and they still do not speak to him to that day.
1: Wow, interesting.
0: Yes, where he said that experience pushed me, and he said this, into a state of enlightenment. So he went into a regular meditation practice, and I think he became a teacher. Hmm. So these are the things that meditation show us. Now, also, the majority of Okinawans are Buddhist, and, and Buddhism has a strong meditative practice and a daily chanting mm, practice. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. and. You can use, and so, you know what, what I want to do for a moment here is to go into the different types of meditation because there's not one way to meditate. There's so many different ways to meditate and I practice so many different ways. You can use sound. Like in yoga, we use om, om, A-U-M or O-M is, the, is in yoga and Sanskrit called the primordial sound of all. Om om
1: i used om for a while
0: yeah so om brings you into the now it brings you into your heart into your presence into your center Mm -hmm. it quiets the mind so i always tell people my clients who are having a hard time meditating do sounds do vowel sounds um the the sanskrit sound for the heart is um oh my gosh and now i totally forgot it is it yum no, it's, I think it's, <laughs> I can't believe I forgot it as I'm talking about it. Um, it might be, it, it's either hum or yum. I'll, I'll remember it and then I'll put it in yeah. for, the, for this. But, um, or you could just do the vowel sound, which is ah, mm-hmm. for the heart. What uh, I would do, one of the
1: things that I really like doing, I, I practiced using sound for a while and the reason why that practice worked for me is because it f- caused me to have to focus always on what I was doing in the moment. So, all of the different all of the different ways that you can get into meditation, there is really no limit on the amount of ways that you can like get into it. It is literally all about finding a feeling and once you find the feeling, you will know exactly how to get to it. Again, and it might change for you because the mind might start to creep in and, and think about it. You have to be very aware of your own awareness. And it's interesting because the biggest thing with meditation is it's you 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 can't try. When you try to meditate, you fail. So all you do is you sit. Sitting is easy. It 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 helps people to enter into a more relaxed state. You know, you can really meditate doing just about anything, but this is this is how I found is a really easy trigger. You just sit. You close your eyes, and you start to become aware of your thoughts. You start to notice what your thoughts say, how they approach your now, and how they leave your now. And you don't dwell on one thought for too long. If you do, that's okay. You always have to maintain a state of that's okay. So one of the things that I think people trip up on a lot with meditation is they they start focusing too much on oh man, I was really thinking about that thought for too long, and I I, I I, shouldn't be doing that. And then the mind starts to loop and loop and loop, and it says, oh no, I'm not doing this right. Oh no, but they said I had to let go of these thoughts, and now I'm sitting here thinking. And and you can hear as I'm saying this, this is what the mind does, is it it criticizes. A lot of people get stuck in that self-criticism loop of thinking that there's a certain set of steps that they have to take to achieve meditation. But really, meditation is just the accepting of your now moment in its fullest state. So I'll always be an advocate of practicing meditation in a lot of like unlikely circumstances. One of my most powerful meditations that I've ever had was when I went on a hike um, to a, a very popular butte in our area. And I I went up to the top of the butte and I was really hoping for like a peaceful, serene meditation, but there were a ton of people up there. So I was like, damn it, I'm gonna have to meditate in all these people in front of all these people. And there was a part of me that was like a little self-conscious about that, and these people were also talking, and so I was very like. Man, this is not ideal. It wasn't what I wanted. But I realized, because I had achieved a meditative state before, I realized that if I didn't meditate, I would really be failing. So I realized that I had to sit down and I had to go through with it because that was me actually practicing meditation, accepting my surroundings in their fullest. And so I did. And I, I sat and I meditated and I just kind of, and I, I had the, the, the thoughts creep in, you know, the, oh, like, what if people are looking at me weird? Like, what, what are, like, are they saying things about me? Are they talking about me? And I just let those thoughts go. I didn't, I didn't try to push them away. I didn't focus on them really at all. I just kind of, oh, well, yeah, you know, nodded at them. Oh, yeah, that's there. It would go away on its own accord. I achieved a very deep and peaceful and long state of meditation. I probably meditated for about 15, 20 minutes, which was a long time for me at that point. And the wind was rustling. It was, there were a lot of things that I practiced. Another thing that I practiced was the annoyance of hearing other people's conversations as I was meditating. Mind wants to get annoyed about that stuff. But really, if, if you allow yourself to dwell on the feeling of being annoyed, then you are really failing at meditation. You can't try to not be annoyed, but you also can't focus on being annoyed. You have to simply let it be. Another thing that I focused on was how cold it was. It was really, really cold up there. And there was, of course, the thought that came in, oh, this is uncomfortable. I'm cold. Yet again, Same thing. I'm not going to focus. I'm not going to say, oh, man, I'm noticing that I'm really cold, and I'm going to focus in on that thought, and I'm going to hold on to that, and I'm going to say, man, it's really, really cold, and I don't want to be cold right now, and I'm just stuck up here where it's cold. It's the mind. You just say, okay, this is happening. I'm noticing that I'm cold. Let it go. I just continue to be in that state. Sure enough, after, after enough time of, of that thought being there, it went away. I wasn't thinking about it anymore. And there were a couple times where some of these thoughts did come back into my head. I just let them go. That's what meditation is all about. And when you find that place, then you start to see that same thing literally repeated everywhere. Another really powerful meditation I had was just a moment where I was out and about, and I heard these lawnmowers from really far away. And the lawnmowers were making this noise, you know. Very, very annoying to the ego that wants control over everything and says, oh no, I can't have these in my space. I can't have these in my frequency because they're disrupting. They're distracting. They have power over me. The ego loves to do that. It loves to say what things have power over it, so much so that it will literally go to any length of of whatever to complain about it. And the problem is when you build up the habit of giving in to your ego in those moments when it feels dissatisfied, you are empowering it to disempower you. It's the most backwards weird thing ever because then you'll just get more annoyed more easily by more things. You'll want more control, so you'll just keep sequestering yourself off more and more and more until you live a very rote, mundane life where you're not exposing yourself to new experiences and you're not actually living in that fullness In that sense of true acceptance of being, of what life is. Life is not in your control. You don't have control over the things that you're born with. You don't have control over the fact that you were born at all. If you did, then maybe you would be somewhere different. But you're not. You're here. You have all the things that were given to you in this life and all the things that continue to be brought into your life. And you have absolutely no ability to change any of that. All you have the ability to change is your inner self. That's it. Your inner self determines, and as you find a lot of people who have found places of success and happiness talk about, the inner self is the number one thing that they focused on changing to get them to where they wanted to be physically. But they didn't feel like it connected at first. At first, it seems paradoxical. It's like, why would I focus so much on myself when there's all these other things around here that are annoying me? Don't focus on those things. You have no control over those things. They're not a part of your body. They're not a part of your mind. Your mind and your ego want to make up a story to disempower you. So always keep that in mind. So I was hearing this lawnmower noise, and it was very drony, and it was this one note. Well, I had a, I had a memory. I had a memory that arose in that moment, and I remembered that all of this time I had spent meditating, this time that I had spent taking psychedelics and, and, and hearing noises, and the time that i had spent watching other people meditate whether it be on youtube i've i've done a lot of research of watching like you know different forms of meditation i've always been fascinated with spirituality i've watched tibetan uh, buddhist monks meditate uh, i've watched a lot of you know throat singing stuff like that you know what these lawnmowers actually made the exact same note that all of those things did. Whether it was a frequency that I was hearing when I was coming up in my psychedelic trip, or the note that the monks were singing when they were meditating, that lawnmower that that I thought was so annoying, it's the exact same note. It's the exact same sound. And as soon as I realized that, all all the annoyance went away. Because I realized that this was life reflecting back to me that my mind, Inside of me is the one thing that has all the control over how I perceive something. Just like what what you talked about just now with these these Holocaust survivors. Anyone who survives and continues to live a thriving life, anyone who lives a thriving life in general, they all share this same inner vitality, this level of self-control. Right? Because you don't have control over what life deals you. The external things are without your control, but you have a tremendous amount of control over your inner world. And the inner world, as we're kind of alluding to, that's what you should be focusing on.
0: Well, and meditation is the key tool to open the door on a higher consciousness and the ability to see. All of these different perceptions is we're just consciousness. We're just in, in yoga, sat, chit, sat, S-A-T, sat is pure consciousness. Chit, C-H-I-T, chit is the descending into the physical body, pure consciousness in the physical body. And then in, in, in yoga, it is said that once you realize this, you see this through your third eye, the inner eye, you experience ananda bliss Mm. because you're in the now. You're in your body, you're in your heart center, but you're seeing through what I call source's eyes, which is not a yogic term. It's my term. Seeing through source's eyes. Meditation is absolutely key. And for anyone who says, oh, I can't meditate because you're not trying. You have to try. You actually have to, you have to dedicate it. It's a practice. If you're practicing, complaining every day, if you're practicing judgment, which is all about you, if you're complaining, you're complaining about yourself. If you're judging, you're judging yourself. So if you're practicing that, you just have to flip the switch and focus on breathing and observing your mind, your emotions, and your behavior. And that is key in learning to master seeing everything that we're talking about here. Everything that you're talking about, Colby, is is the ability to master your perceptions. And you'll realize that you are perceiving multidimensionally. And people say, well, multidimensionally. Well, it's be, it's the ability to see a different angles simultaneously. We all have that ability to do that. Meditation because gets you there, though.
1: I, just to elaborate on the multidimensionality thing a little bit, it it's really, it's not... A very otherworldly concept. It is literally just the idea that with every decision and choice that you make in your now moment, you are choosing to go down one path out of a billion different paths. So, by observing all of these different paths that you could take, you are observing the multidimensional lanes that exist within your life. I just wanted to elaborate on that so no, that people it's, could understand. It's
0: true. That's a good elaboration. I, I perceive multidimensionally. I have the ability to interact in my life, you know, from the ground, from in my body. I'm very grounded in my body. Not always, but most of the time I am. And then I have the ability to sit, breathe with my eyes open or eyes closed. It doesn't matter. And observe my life, reflect upon the experiences that i just had what i put out outward what i call into the field and the reflection back of that i make a conscious practice every day to be as kind as possible especially doing a system job i'm out in the field i'm literally out in in the the commercial world i see the average american i see people every almost every day who are the walking unconscious and it's so interesting to literally interact with them from a meditative state of breath and observation i can get my mind very focused on looking at them and being able to read somebody There's no magic to it. It's nothing supernatural. When you are perceiving from a wider scope of what's in front of you and around you, and you're using all of your senses, not just your vision. When you are feeling the energy, when you're listening and really listening finally, which means you have to quiet your thoughts, they have to go up above. And after a while, they become clouds. And then after a while, they do dissipate. You have to observe your emotions and feel them and express them. They have to be expressed. And once you express your emotions, they flow through very quickly. And when you are perceiving others who are what I call the unconscious, you can see everything about them because they're literal expressions. On their faces and on their bodies are showing what's going on with them internally, even though they think they're masking. They think that they're hiding that. This is how we can be psychic, empathic, and intuitive. Meditation gets us there. I am very psychic. People will have a session with me. I'll just go with that because that's so easy. People have a session with me and it's on Zoom, they come on screen and i can see if they're holding on to sadness, grieving, rage, exhaustion, fatigue, if they're malnourished, i see it on their physical body as if they're just wearing it. It's literally like they've put on a mask that's just fixed onto that emotion. And i will see the words come off of their body, literally in my vision i'll see like an almost a daydream image of the emotion coming off of them and It just looks like that's what their physical body is. And so I'll get a prompting off of their image on screen of what they're experiencing. So people will share with me. I'll ask, so how are you? Why are you having a session today? And people will start to give me a story and what they're really experiencing kind of begins pressing at me urgently. And I'll let them talk. Sometimes I have to interrupt them because it's so urgent what they're actually experiencing, which they haven't gotten to yet in telling me because they're so busy telling me a story that I'll say, I see your sadness. Why are you sad? And then immediately they try to mask and I'll say, no, you can't mask sadness because you're holding will There's some people who that I, I'm comfortable with who have uh, have had many sessions with me and I'll just say to them, just so you know, your entire face looks sad. I'm just seeing sadness. And they're like, what? How can you see that? It's so obvious. It's just like looking at your eyes and seeing they're brown. Your face looks sad. What are you sad about? And then here comes the tears. And a lot of people who are trying to mask their sadness will give me a lot of apologies. I'm so sorry. I'm crying. (laughs) I never apologize for your emotions. This is your natural state of being. But It's meditation that brings me there. My forms of meditation are really all forms. I meditate in the morning before I really fully come back into my body with earplugs in. Again, I highly recommend for those of you that have a difficult time meditating to put in earplugs. It's key. And if you have a hard time shutting out the outside world, Use a sleep blindfold. Use an eye yeah, mask. Yeah, there's
1: there's nothing wrong with starting out in a very closed off, sensory deprived area. Oh
0: yeah, this is why float tanks are you, so you effective. You have to
1: just get the feeling first, so that you can then start to expand beyond those boundaries. If you don't have the feeling, it's going to be really hard. So. It's going to be
0: really hard. And yeah. here's another. So here are the key tools that I used, and that I recommend for my clients and my yoga students to help you to begin really a regular meditation practice. Again, five minutes in the morning as you're waking up, five minutes in the afternoon as a breather and lie down horizontal, lie down flat on your back and breathe and close your eyes. And if you have to put on an eye mask or put an eye pillow over your eyes, please do. Um, Cover up your body with a blanket so that your body feels safe and secure and warm. Warmth helps a lot for those who are starting. Of course. Yes. These are all the preliminary fundamental practices. If you live in in an area, a city that has float tanks, go to one, go do the sensory deprivation float tank. You will be floating in about 25 pounds of Epsom salts in purified water. And there will be, you'll be in darkness Sometimes they pipe music into them if you have a difficult time. I highly recommend no music and bring earplugs so that you can keep the salt water out of your ears. And they're so powerful. I literally increased my meditation capacity by practicing weekly floats for a year from 2013 to 2014. I rebirthed myself in the sensory deprivation tank. And you don't have to be in one of those enclosed space capsules. There's three or four different sizes of float tanks. You can have the one that's really open, like, you know, a jacuzzi pool, things like that. They're incredible. And if you have the money for them, some of them are a little spendy, but I highly recommend trying them at least a few times. They're going to show you that... You can easily quiet your mind by shutting off the sensory stimulation. Because when the nervous system is in a sympathetic state of adrenaline, meditation is almost next to impossible. Unless you've been meditating for a long time. Yeah, then you can.
1: I would say that in addition to the sensory deprivation float tank idea, kind of, you know, you mentioned this earlier. Uh, if you're starting out, meditate either when you've just woken up in the early morning or like literally still laying in your bed or shortly after that period of time, um, your mind in the morning just doesn't have a lot of thoughts. It's really very empty. So it's a very easy place to start. You can find, like I find I have some very powerful meditations in the morning because it's literally almost as though you're going right back to sleep, um, But the difference between, it's like an almost sleep state. I was going to say the other thing that is really interesting to practice, it's a little bit harder, but this is something that will really test your abilities of awareness. Because essentially, this is what we're talking about through meditation. It's just awareness. If you can try to practice being aware of the process of going to sleep, like the state of being in between awake and dreaming. If you can be aware of that place, if you can be aware of what is going on in your mind, I mean, if you think about it, I'm sure that you're probably not conscious of what it's like to be going to sleep. Like, I know I wasn't until I started really practicing this. I, I, to me, I think I'd never really thought about it. It was always, it was always just kind of like one minute I'm awake, the next minute I'm asleep, and then I wake up again, you know? But. There is a whole like in between stage that's really you can literally feel your consciousness slip off. And it is it's just a meditative state. And it's really it's fun to play with. So I would highly recommend practicing that as well. Just being conscious and aware as your brain starts to let go and let you slip into the state of sleep.
0: Also, if you have a monkey mind. Using calming essential oils, really high quality therapeutic essential oils, lavender, Roman chamomile, frankincense. They can help a lot. Um, the woods, the tree oils, cedarwood, pine, um, spruce, all of those. They're very, very helpful. You put them on the bottoms of your feet behind your ears and you smell and they can help you to stay right here right now and calm your mind. Anything's going to be really relaxing. Also herbal teas that are relaxing. Same thing, the chamomiles, lavender. If you are if you're a kava person, I'm not a I'm not a proponent for for drinking kava, but if you do, if you're a person who really like if you have if you've just if you've suffered from PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, kava is gonna be a very powerful route for you to try to calm your mind as much as possible. Your 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 endocrine system needs that kind of alchemical um power, shall we say. And um also uh valerian root, which is the herbal Valium. Valerian root is really powerful if you have experienced trauma and your mind is looping a lot. It's also very powerful. Um you could take it in tincture form and also drink the tea. Ingesting it is is always the the most powerful. So for those of you that have a hard time being still because this is a common thing that I attract people because I have had a hard time being still as well I'm such a mover for those of you that need to move a lot especially those of you that have mercurial minds if you've got a lot of gemini or virgo in your chart um moving as a meditation go out for a walk but no phone with you no no you know, I don't even know if they do iPods anymore. But no, don't bring any music with you. Do they still do iPods? No. No, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I I was just like I dated myself there, but no, I mean that's more recent anyway. Eh, but it's all good. No, I mean I I if I had said Walkman
1: <laughs> uh, Honestly, iPod Technology has sped up so much that iPod <laughs> does seem very dated at this point. But. It
0: does, but it doesn't date me. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, Walkman does. No Walkmans, sure. no headsets, <laughs> no AirPods, no. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like walk outside techno- technologically naked. Mm-hmm. Make sure that you're just outside away from the tech and breathe. Like get yourself on a brisk walk so that you have your body has to breathe because the breath is key for getting all systems to calm down, get parasympathetic nervous system to start kicking in so endorphins kick in because when endorphins kick in, relaxation happens. And look at nature and look at the houses and look at the buildings and look at everything around you. Look outside, focus on it. Another great practice is focus on everything without labeling it and analyzing it. Mm. Look at nature through child's eyes. What? How did you look at nature when you were a little kid? Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. looked at nature. You just observed it. It just was. Trees weren't trees. You were taught that trees have the name trees, but when you were little, everything just was. Mm. As we're as we're small children in the first seven years of our lives, we're in a natural meditative state all the time. Everything's new, and we're just observing yeah. and breathing and experiencing. Yeah. Also, another key for those of you that are having issues meditating. When, those of you that drive, when you're driving a car, no radio, no music playing, nothing. Quiet, breathe, observe, and focus on your destination. Because you're training your mind to focus on one thing. When you can focus on one thing, It literally opens up your perception and you can focus on that one thing from multiple perceptions. This increases your ability to be in a higher state of consciousness and, and to perceive through multiple dimensions. Mm -hmm. You look at one thing, you focus on where you're going, and then your mind will start to open up on All the other different aspects of that one place, that one location, it all leads back to the oneness. All, it's like a web. It's Mm -hmm. like this whole grid. So this is what happens to me. I'll be driving somewhere because I don't listen to anything when I drive. I will drive somewhere. And I'm focused on that one thing. I'm going to a location and my mind will suddenly catch on to a frequency that has a different perception about that place that I'm going to. And it will all be revealed to me, all of these different pieces of information on that one destination. And then I'm like, I'm totally getting information about this. You're getting it from the higher grid the whole grid. This is how I'm able to see one person, but get past life perceptions on them and get other information on them Is I'm focused on one thing. And that opens you up to the morphogenetic field where all of these other aspects that are connected to that one thing reveal themselves to you. And you get this higher perspective of all of this is connected to this one thing. You increase your psychic awareness through meditation. I had an
1: experience once during meditation where i was I was meditating. Um, I was meditating out near a a forest, kind of off the beaten path. It was just in the center of this this forest, um, and I just kind of picked a spot and I sat down. and I thought it would be really nice to meditate. And I was having trouble getting into the, the place, as as I like to call it. And I was trying to like I was like, hmm, like what is what is preventing me from like getting into this spot right now? So I was just kind of observing. I figured out is my fear of my body being disturbed by insects or animals that were outside of my control that was preventing me from landing into this one thing Because every time I would hear like a buzz noise My nervous system would jolt And I would like be like oh my god Like is that a, is that a bee is it near me Like what's like what's always, happening
0: Ever since you were really little Insects have really bothered you
1: Because insects are super outside of my realm of influence Because I have no control over them And because they're so small it, The amount of physical control I have over them Is even less
0: And the funniest thing is that When we go out for our, our weekly fan family hikes out in the middle of central oregon sometimes in the in the warm months <laughs> as soon as a bee or a mosquito or something's around you <laughs> you get so triggered so easily and <laughs> yes yeah. and you did not learn that from me I have well, never let's, been like that let's,
1: <laughs> let's just put my put everyone in my mind here real quick it's like you're this is this is how I've always perceived it I'm out here minding my own business I'm just I'm, I have a destination. I have a, I have a goal, right? And I'm trying to be out to achieve that goal. And I want to do it comfortably. I want to get from point A to point B, but I want to be comfortable about it.
0: Oh my God, you're
1: so Aries. But then this little squiggly, itchy thing comes into my, comes into my field. And it has the power to itch at me whenever it wants. It could do that by biting or simply crawling on me. Well, I don't want that. I want to be comfortable in my journey. God damn it. What am I going to do about this little itchy, squiggly thing? And it's so small. I don't know where it is at all times. I can't get at it.
0: And you're so funny because you're so intensely, dramatically Aries. You're Aries rising and Saturn Aries comes out. And you'll do this. And then you, be, and then you yes. do this. And then you do, God damn it. Yes.
1: Yes. And, and part of my hope, too, is that by exuding uh, more anger, uh, <laughs> the insect will be warded away from, from my, my environment and simply then, by sheer will.
0: <laughs> and then we're on the trail. To... <laughs> You're so funny. We're on the trail together and your arms are waving around and your feet. (laughs) (laughs) And I have the bug shield essential oil blend, which does
1: nothing for me, by the way, (laughs) does nothing for me at all. (laughs)
0: And you've like poured the whole damn bottle over your entire head and they still go after you. And what do I tell you every time? What's the reason I what's the reason they go after you and not me? There's two reasons. Yes. The first one we already talked because about.
1: because I eat a lot of garlic and you onions. You eat a lot
0: of stinky food. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and I don't, and they're not interested in my fruitarian yes. body. But in, the second reason is, is because you're so bothered by them.
1: I know. <laughs> and, and, and so this is, you know, I, I, want, I want to kind of like provide this insight so that this is you can see this is this is my ego oh my that is God. being triggered my what? ego i just explained the whole thing my ego oh doesn't God. like my ego ha- feels it looks at life through a destination <laughs> perspective there's a journey i see life as a journey and then, moon and cancer, I want to be goddamn comfortable on my fucking journey. <laughs> and
0: then and then you wave your arms around. Your hair is flying everywhere. You're so mad. <laughs> and you... <laughs> 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 you take off. You, just, you leave me and you run down the tree sometimes they really they really a,
1: follow me where they
0: follow you every time and i just stand there and i'm like he's he still isn't getting this and so i just i just continue and every once in a while i'll hear a horsefly we love horseflies so much i'll hear a horsefly past my ear and i'm just like i just do this no you're not interested in me I'm not, I don't have decomposing food in my gut. You're fine. And it just moves on. Sometimes they circle around me and it's just like, yeah, whatever. But I get to you and you're standing there and you're so exasperated. By the time I get to you, you still have the bottle of bug essential oil blend. And you are just massively shaking it out on your hand and putting it all over you. And then you're just mad. (laughs) Yeah. It is the funniest thing. And it has been going on for since you were a teenager, yeah. I remember you doing this. Since you were a teenager, this has been going on for so long.
1: Yeah, I've, I've so funny. Not not really too fond of of uncontrollables in my life. I won't even say it's not insects. I love insects. Um, you put an insect in front of me, and it's in a like an environment that I have control over, and I love it. I know, it's, it's literally the, the it's the it's the control factor. It's the it fact is. that I don't have control over it. That's it what I is. don't like. It's and, the control,
0: and it took. I had this, but I didn't have this. With nature, I've just always loved being in nature. I had this with some certain life circumstances and with some people, and it is literally through it's through my daily yoga practice, which of course begins with meditation. And I have two different types of meditation. I do just the regular in the morning, just relaxed meditations. I'm coming into my body, but I also do a very deliberate chakra clearing meditation in an auric field, expanding meditation deliberately before I start my strong um, yoga poses asana practice every day. And through that, it's been going on for so long now, through that, I have been able to step back and step out of my ego's want for controlling life it's also just through, you know, obviously it's through longevity. It's through experience that I've seen. All right. I can see my patterns. Meditation helps you to be reflective. Here are my patterns. Here's the type of man I'm typically attracted to. My father and my brother and the worst way. <laughs> so seeing them and seeing my work life and Seeing it through the eyes of the lens of astrology and numerology and my diet, you know, the plant-based, raw plant-based diet, first the vegan diet, then the raw plant-based diet, seeing political, no political, because I've never been political, but I tried and seeing how, you know, just like looking at all that through parenting, through being a wife for, you know, almost 18 years, through being a mom, through being a healer, through being a performer, through being a daughter, through once I was, I was once a sister. You know, things like that, through all of that and seeing all those different roles. Meditation is what shows you that so that you can see, I play and have played all those roles, but none of those roles define me. I'm not those roles. I can play those roles and learn through experience more about myself, but I'm not those labels. Like there are people who will call me lady or ma'am or... I've been called Misses, And I'm like, and none of that fits me. I don't identify with being a lady. I've been called woman. I don't even identify as a woman, even though this is a woman's body. I don't identify with my body. I don't identify with my name. I don't identify with my gender, even though I happily live in a feminine body and love my feminine body. I don't identify with any of that. How I got to this place where... I don't identify with any of that is through meditation. So that if somebody calls me, ma'am, I kind of chuckle. If I'm called, hey, lady or lady, I don't respond because they're not talking to me until they're like, oh, yeah, I mean you. Oh, <laughs> and it's kind of comical to me. Even though I use astrology terms so much, I don't identify as a Gemini or Virgo ascendant or moon in Capricorn or moon in Sag and Vedic. I don't identify with any of that. Or Taurus sun in Vedic. I don't, because I, there's so many different, I don't identify with being born the year of the monkey. These are not things I identify with. I find those to be useful tools as a lens to look at my behavior through that to learn more about myself. Meditation helps you to see your ego so that you stop taking anything personally. Everybody's coming from their own lens, period. And it helps you to observe and live right here, right now, so that you can have the most amazing life experience. It can help you to see the joy in life even when life is challenging you.
1: Thank you so much, everyone, for checking out this week's episode of the podcast. Uh, If you have any feedback, we would love to hear it. So you can leave us a response on our Q&A forms, which I know you can find on Spotify. I don't know if they have them on Apple, but I would check that out or any of the other platforms. Or we have a Patreon group where we do a one-hour-long Q&A session every single Sunday. So you can find us on Patreon, uh, Patreon slash one-long-conversation. And we would love to hear from you. We'd love to get you involved in the process and uh, heal everyone collectively. That's That's sort of the goal with this is inner healing for the self, for the collective. Uh, Let's just find the best way to do it, get it all out there and uh, move forward. So thank you guys so much and we will see you for next week's episode.